As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halford's Floor, back from Germany. You had a couple of days off there, Halford's Floor, didn't you? Feel, ha- feel better for it. Feel yeah. refreshed. You feel yeah. refreshed? And, and a bit worse because I kind of stopped, relaxed, felt worse. Right. Then came back. And then improved. And you've yeah. improved. You've come back in a green jumper. Yeah. Lovely jumper, Source isn't of controversy it? Today, a brave man to do that. Yeah. On internet live streams. That's any form of internet broadcast wearing green. True. That is the yeah. second time someone said something like that doesn't to me think today. It doesn't think it through, does People, it, it? Yeah. It's good. You're on the blue screen and it, we're not doing anything right. special. Okay. So n- nothing to worry about. I actually think that colour looks lovely on you and I'm happy to see you. It does. Yeah. Also happy to see JJ Bull, who's in a, a, a Christmas France jumper. Yeah. Oh, yes. Is there a, a method behind your choice today? Because, of course, available in the office, we also have uh, Argentina wear or Croatia tops, don't we? There's many, many choices. Mm. Today, I've chosen France because blue is nice. Uh, Are you trying to send us a message about tomorrow? England play France, of course. Year seven book report. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am, uh, I, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other voice here you can hear in the room is uh, we're delighted to be joined, of course, by Carl Anker. Hi, Carl. Hi, buddy. How are you, you doing? What are you wearing? This is a Como FC jersey. Oh. Uh, Como FC, uh, the team that sucks. Fabregas now applies his trade for. Oh. Uh, and they've got a nifty little program called Como for Como. So you get a shirt and some oh, of the money okay. goes to local services. I like the little in the fish. Region. Yeah, is that a fish? That's just the sponsor. That's the sponsor. I'm a fan of that sponsor's logo. It's a streaming platform, I believe. Well, there we go. Learn something new every day. Right, fine. Listen, we've got so much to get through today. An incredible, incredible day of football, I think it's fair to say. We're going to talk about Netherlands-Argentina. We're going to talk about Brazil-Croatia as well. And, of course, there'll be a little bit of time for points of bad. But, Seb, have you enjoyed yourself today? I mean, it was a, it was a, a huge day. First of the quarterfinals. Um, for, in a footballing sense, it really paid off. It felt like a, an assault of football. <clears throat> just yes. because it's been so dramatic. I think the cost, when you, when you have two great games back-to-back, I think the cost is sort of the, 
the hour of the second game that you sort of ignore. You watch it mm-hmm. and it happens in front of you, but you don't really digest any of it at all. Yes. And I was, I, it felt like I'd been hit in the face a little bit by sure. Brazil against Croatia. So um, don't ask me about anything that happened in the first bit of Holland against... Uh, I think one of the fun things about a game that uh, becomes 2-2 late on and goes to penalties is that you don't really need to talk about the first hour. I felt like <laughs> I needed I needed the comeback to pick me up for the live stream. Yeah. Like I didn't have a lot of energy before the Dutch brought it back to 2-2. Sure. But I'm sort of back a little deflated by the penalty loss yeah it's kind of kind of felt behind well talk but, about deflating do you know what would inflate your knowledge of football the athletic visit the athletic.com forward slash tifo the athletic.com forward slash tifo you can read all of the incredible journalists work including carl anker what have you written recently carl uh, today i wrote a piece assessing the substitutes from all the eight quarterfinals oh. basically going right here are the most common lineups all these teams use here's the most common substitutes all these teams use uh, and here's a little bit about how these managers often use their substitutes uh, as well who's got the best subs see possibly Portugal now yeah, yeah. Uh, so if in, in terms of just pure numbers who's got the most goals assists off the bench then you'd say maybe England because it's been quite dispersed but Portugal in uh, Rafael Leal mm. who's now come off the bench in all four games and scored two goals is one of those oh they've got a really dangerous plan B uh, so that would be quite interesting. Croatia are the most known quantity mm. remaining at this World Cup, I wrote, uh, and remain that way as well. Uh, and, and France and England are quite interesting, although Southgate is a very unique manager in terms of substitutes. Uh, I've been working on this sort of comparison for a while, but I just I keep thinking uh, a manager uses substitutes in the same way you or me would use their spice rack when you're making dinner. <laughs> so not at all, is that in my so, case? Yeah, some, some use not at all. Some would <laughs> some would use it based on what uh, the recipe book would say beforehand. Yeah. Some would go, actually, based on the touch and feel of what's going on. I know best. Yeah. I know better. Yeah. And I would implement yeah, something. Yeah, right, and yeah. Southgate, for me, uh, especially over the Euros campaign, very much struck me as someone who used this spice rack based on a preset plan or recipe idea yeah. beforehand. So if you're listening to this and you watch the Euro final... Um, it was very evident from our from the hour mark that Gareth Southgate needed to make a substitute because he was the back three was getting pinned back and it was becoming a back five and Trippier and Walker were doing very well but you needed to make a change and Southgate held and he held and he held and he held and you're going big man your food's burning mm. you might need to <laughs> might need to recover with some flavour here sure uh, and, and and that didn't occur no <laughs> sprinkle a little uh, cinnamon on there do people put cinnamon on food I really like cheese sandwiches and they're quite clean <laughs> yeah but- I like salt. Yeah, I love salt as you well. Salt? But sometimes you need something uh, fancier, mm. like fajitas. Pepper, like pepper. Yeah. I don't like pepper. You know pepper? The ones you've got. I think peppers are quite spicy, isn't it? I don't like pepper. You could put, you could put gunge. <laughs> gunge? Yeah. Yeah. I like a, I like a, a, a nice a beige meal. Anyway, um, that's The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Not at all beige. Um, right, fine. For now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Mr. Carl Anker. to begin of course uh, than with uh, well in fact today we could have begun anywhere but today Netherlands 2 2 Argentina 3-4 on penalties Seb Stafford Blore now we will talk about uh, the penalties and we'll talk about Argentina of course but the first thing I, I do want to discuss is the last minute free kick the Wout Weghorst goal I mean the uh, the goal 
Imagine if that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously, great moment, amazingly intricate free kick, great finish, all those kind of things. Imagine if 2-1 down, you get a free kick in that position, you've got three highly gifted free kick takers standing around it, and a free shot on goal. And you do that, and instead of falling for it, which, by the way, it's a free kick routine that Argentina almost exactly pulled off against England in, in 1998. It's very, very, very similar. But um, imagine if you do that and it just peters out and someone just boots it off and that's the end of the game. And that's why I kind of love it. It's because there's such jeopardy to it and there's such a, there's such a conviction that it's going to work. And, and most people like a, a training ground routine for a corner or a set piece or whatever. But to do it in the 99th minute of a World Cup quarterfinal, um, it's brilliant. A brilliant, brilliant moment. Yeah. You kind of, you loved it and then hated it because it kind of condemned us to an extra 30 minutes of, Well, I loved the it for, for the goal. And I enjoy goal. You One went, of my favourite types of things. Yeah, you went from 100 to zero very, very quickly. Well, I just realised what was going to happen and then I was another half an hour and a little behind the scenes stuff here. Editor Nathan, unavailable today. So uh, guess who's editing the podcast when they get home? It's me. It's me, I I think, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> I think one of the sort of the underappreciated parts of it, though, is the disguise on the ball into the box because yes, no. you can give that away by being a bit too deliberate. Mm-hmm. Because if you yeah, know what's coming, fantastic. you yeah. have to sell it right, and it's sold brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's just just a, a great, genuinely, despite what happened in penalties, a great World Cup moment. That might be the goal of the tournament in Maybe. terms of context, difficult Maybe. context, yeah, difficult of execution, the amount of jeopardy involved, yeah, what's on the line. The fact that it both requires individual imagination and collective choreography. Yeah. And skill. I mean, yeah, the Vecor's finish is not easy, right? It's, it's like the kind of clip you get in one of those old VHS things, like Nick Hancock and that. that you'll, people remember that one forever. It's one of yeah. those, it's like Van Persie's header or something. Yeah. Mm. Just, people just remember that one, yeah. Yeah, that'll be on DVDs and highlight packages on YouTube yeah. forever. We certainly, it was the goal that I think um, has made everyone where I am stand up and go oh (laughs) the most i've been and we've seen goals so far where plenty of people you know half the room or more have done that but i think everyone in the room did a stand up oh anyway there we go that was the goal but of course uh, argentina do uh, progress carl um winning on penalties Uh, it was uh, emmy martinez who saved the first two of the netherlands penalties and you sort of felt there wasn't really any coming back from that no no emmy martinez is an exceptional penalty shootout operator mm. uh, very famously uh, given it to Yeri Mina during the Copa America that Argentina <laughs> eventually <laughs> won uh, where Messi infamously said to Yeri Mina afterwards Baya ora, dance now dance now um, he's really he's a really interesting goalkeeper in that you can both sledge him but also he he sort of he reaches this sort of temperature or nexus where he just becomes the perfect goalkeeper for this international mm. scenario uh, yeah losing your foot going two penalties down in the shootout very often you are done and dusted. Yeah. Uh, someone reminded me earlier in this tournament that a rare incident where someone was two goals up in a penalty shoot and eventually lost was Ghana in the 2015 AFCON final mm. against the Ivory Coast where Herve Renard was the Ivory Coast coach. But yeah, this was... Uh, the Netherlands have an atrocious penalty record in international tournaments. It's yeah. sort of... Well, until England beat Colombia in 2018, the Netherlands had their big sort of we're really bad at this until they beat Costa Rica yeah. in 2014 with Louis van Gaal. Uh, very famously, Francesco Totti, his autobiography, I'm, go- uh, I'm Going to Chip Him Now, is a reference to what they did in Euro 2000 against the Netherlands and van der Sar. Uh, so yes, uh, I imagine there's some Dutch viewers that when they went to penalty shootout, they had the innate elation of, hooray, went to extra time penalties and the penalty shootout side went, oh God, yeah. it's a penalty shootout Oof. and we're Dutch. Uh, Louis van Gaal, 
in the Louis Van Louis Van Hal. <clears throat> so let me say that again. Virgil van Dijk mm. says in the Louis van Hal documentary that if it goes to the penalty shootout, he would like to Netherlands to go first, and as a captain, he would like to take the first penalty. Yeah. And van Hal has a moment. He goes, "Yeah, okay, I, I respect your chutzpah, but you have to score your first one." And van Hal, and uh, Virgil reassures him that he will score his first penalty. I didn't go to plan. Oh, I, the thing with the Louis van Hal, um, like the kind of the narrative around his tournament, um, I'm so glad that at nil two the Dutch did what they did because it wouldn't have been terrible if after everything he's been through and the kind of the what he's had to um, overcome to be at the tournament to qualify the Dutch for the tournament they'd gone out 2-0 and it was a bit meek before he made his substitutes as it was and I, I put this on Twitter it feels like a kind of an archetypal Van Hal moment because it's I'm making the subs that everybody else is going to is going to um, mock yep. putting on two big players and everybody did Everybody on Twitter laughed. Oh, Vakos has come on. The young um, Luke De Jong's come on. You're not going to achieve that. You know, this is this is the end of your career, and you're playing four four two, and you're lumping out to big men. And then you can imagine Van Hal doing that, and Van Hal being utterly convinced he's right about it. Mm. Be like, I don't care. I don't care what's going to come my way if it doesn't go wrong. I just believe that it's going to go right, and it did. Yeah, like they lost on penalties, sure, and that's a different kind of failure. But um, what what a comeback! Yeah, Van Hal's a really interesting character. He's, yeah. he's a very proud man, and he's often described as the most arrogant man in the Netherlands. But also, he doesn't seem particularly encumbered with the concept of legacy. And we're always talking about legacy in yeah. athletes. And one of the things I like and also loathe about sports media is that we very often don't describe things as they're happening and often describe things as what they will be written about 10, 15 years from now and very often not just chill. It feels easier to do that, though, doesn't it? It feels, it feels kind of safe to evaluate someone when, when they've stopped doing the thing you're evaluating them for and to be able to look back and have a perspective of it all. Whereas when something's happening, you always feel like it's liable to change. I guess that's the reason people enjoy this sport or sports yeah, generally. Yeah. But, uh, I, but the thing I always find interesting is if you know Van Hal's career and his legacy and the way he's talked about uh, and loved and hated by people of various sides, if you ask him about that genuinely, he is largely... To, well, I say larger. He is to a pleasing degree quite unbothered about that, mm. and is very much going. I will allow the people in the barbershop, the people in in the sports media, and the, and those people to decide what my legacy is. I'm not going to let that go here this way or that way. So yes, yeah. in that sort of thing of I'm right. I am going to put two big lads on, and if this is how I go out, I don't care because I'm ultimately the person who made that decision. It's well, a very yeah. Van Hal way of. He going seems about to refreshingly business. live in the present, doesn't he? Which is um, which is nice. And of course, this this might be um, we don't know, but it might be his last game in charge of of the Netherlands. So. Yeah, and what an interesting career. I think I think it's kind of a, a backloaded career in a sense because for the last decade, you'd say that Louis Van Gaal has not necessarily been at the forefront of European football. Um, bought a durable character, what an interesting person. Basically everything Carl's just said, because I, I, I think when you listen to him, and he, he referenced the documentary on Amazon earlier, I think you get a sort of a, a snapshot into um, just a very compelling human being and someone that's someone who's survived a lot of, um, a lot of conflict, mm. someone who has um, been able to kind of... I mean, listen, if you, if you think about sort of his last, if you think about the period of time from his Champions League win with Ajax to the present day, that is a very long time in modern football. That is over a quarter of a century now. And to still have relevance, to still be coaching at the oh, highest yeah. level, and a World Cup quarterfinal is the highest level, is an amazing feat. And um, yeah, as we've said, like a, um, we, we've mentioned the documentary a few times, just because I, I think it's important that people are aware of kind of the things that he was physically put through to, to get this far. And it's, yeah. um, 
yeah, um, the perfect ending would have been to win the World Cup. That's not going to happen. Um, but I think um, I think sort of the last 15 minutes is a little snapshot into who Louis van Gaal has been. Mm. Um, you know, beyond the trophies and beyond the sort of the reinvention and kind of the fabled Dutch belief in whatever, um, as a man and, and as a person, sort of um, the way he views the game, I think that's a very, very interesting sort of period. Well, he said, uh, JJ, I think it was after the round of 16 game, and, and forgive me, I couldn't find the exact quote, but he talked uh, about how he didn't think that uh, the bigger teams in the tournament would change their tactical setup when they came to play the Netherlands, uh, but that the Netherlands would adapt around other teams that they played. I think it was after the USA game that he said this. Um, but today, Argentina did change. What, what, what did they do and why did they do that? Uh, Argentina changed to a back three, like a back five, mm-hmm. and because we know the Netherlands are going to play with their back five, but the real trouble is Denzel Dumfries. He's, he's one of their most important attacking players. He plays at right wing back. So in the way that the Netherlands play, they have a back five as actually a back four because the the two wide centre backs, Timber and Ake, are both comfortable left back and right back. So they come over to shift. Then you've got Daly Blind can get forward if he wants to, mm-hmm. but it mostly stays a bit deeper. And then Dumfries comes up really high and wide. So then you've got basically Dumfries is a wide right. You've got Memphis Depay, whoever's up, front, up top, Bergwijn, Gakpo, that's part of your three. And maybe Blind will push up a little bit, a little bit deeper. So they get the front five that a lot of teams create. But the real problem, I said, is Dumfries. So what Argentina did to stop this is change their shape. Um, so they've they played with... Argentina have played with a, a, a front two all, all tournament long. Mm-hmm. So it's not a huge departure from it, right? And they have... They've been playing a diamond with a 4-4-2 four, four, diamond, basically. So four diamond two. So the difference is that... Um, Obviously, the extra centre-back comes in, Martinez, but he can play at left-back as well. So mm-hmm. they're doing a similar sort of thing. So Acuna can push up, which then makes them freeze busy. So he can't really do much about it. That's Acuna, who I believe is um, suspended for the semi-final now. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that bit well. The card. They've got, um, what's his name, Taglifico. Has he played left-back? Is he right-back? He's He'll play as a left-back. Yeah. Um, Montiel is suspended as well. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, well. yeah. so I mean, they'll be all right. They'll be fine. Um yeah, so it's the same sort of thing. The four becomes a three. But then Messi kind of floats around. You've got DePaul as his... Bodyguard. His, yeah, so exactly. So like Messi doesn't do much of the defensive work, so DePaul does it for him. It's quite clever the way they use that. But you are kind of down a man <laughs> when you're defending, which is I think was relevant towards the end of that mm. game because they couldn't put any pressure high up. They're so deep, they're caught into it. But they adapted this and it took Dumfries out of the game. He didn't really touch the ball. He didn't do much with it whatsoever. Um, and then what they also did was that while they were in that shape was that Molina started pushing forward really high as well. Mm. And uh, that's where they got a lot of joy from is that Acuna was more of like a actual winger. Molina was pushing forward to put push Blind back a little bit and then you had Martinez was sitting as a left back and then Dumfries was trying to get back to help out Timber on that side uh, so it just disrupted how the Netherlands play and then the, the change that Van Gaal made was going to that 4-4-2 with two big lads up top it's quite fun how the 4-4-2 has become all fashionable again after many years of not being yeah. but you can do different things with it and that's what happened well yeah. there we go also well done Romero who was really aggressive on uh, the late arrivals into the box from the Dutch players as well uh, Cody Bakpo, who went back to number 10. Great ball striker, uh, fantastic ball striking ability and was meant to be loads of late entries to the box, but just couldn't because Romero was just so aggressive there. Uh, and I just remember a bit, you know, like you said, the first hour was a bit of a blur because you were paying, yeah. still calming down from the Brazil result. Um, but I do remember there was a bit early on in the second half where you had changed where Stephen Bergwijn came off. Uh, I mean, Louis van Gaal brought in uh, Stephen Berghaus. Uh, and the rune went off for Cooper Minas, Minas even, uh, and 
the pie got progressively deeper and deeper and deeper, which just completely negated any idea uh, attacking waves of progression because mm. Memphis is meant to essentially try and be the last line occupant mm. and also bring others into the game. And when he was playing so deep, you're going, this is not working entirely, which is why Van Hal brought in some big lads. Yeah. Well, big lads to rescue. I mean, you can understand why a team sort of um, instinctively drops deeper when they're playing against Lionel Messi, can't you, uh, JJ? Who you said halfway through the game, uh, you said you feel that Messi is going to win the World Cup. It feels that the whole thing's been built around Messi winning it because it makes certain tournaments look better. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If he does. uh, It feels a bit like that. I mean, obviously that's not... It sure. can't be what's really happening. But do you, I mean, this isn't necessarily analysis, but do you feel it <laughs> that he's going to win? I feel uh, that there's some sort of uh, thing going on, good yeah. vibes. I think it's vibes that people who just want Messi to win it, it would just be really good if he won it. It would sure. cement his place as the greatest ever. Uh, it's it again nice. that thing about legacy where you describe yeah. things about legacy rather than what's actually happening in front yeah. of your eyes you what's tell him Carl what's yeah. happening in front of your eyes well what's happening in front of our eyes is we've seen Messi take over games in the knockout stages which he did very well in 2014 without necessarily scoring goals but he now is, is pressing the button and going to hero mode I mean yeah. should we just eulogise about that assist shall we do it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's absolutely absurd. It seemed like the whole world sort of turned around him, didn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So the, the the original view you see, uh, and the one we saw on broadcast, it it's very much described as a no-look pass. Uh, he, I mean, it, it's one, passing ambition, two, passing vision, passing intelligence as well, to be able to funnel, I can't even really describe it, to funnel the ball mm. between Nathan Ake's legs and understand that the other person will receive it right at that correct amount of time yeah. is the sort of pass that... I think Adam Crafton tweeted, there's thousands of people in the football stadium, yet only Lionel Messi would able to be able to see that pass. Mm. And there's the sort of spider tactical view from up top, where you can see it as well, and, and from the area where he's collecting the ball. And you watch it three or four times, and you go, how did he see that? Yeah. There's a little bit where he, he almost faints to make the first pass and takes yeah. another touch. And... I'm not a particularly good football player. I'm not a particularly good passer of the ball. Uh, my eyes aren't very good and I wear contact lenses. But I would like to imagine the faint allowed him that extra millisecond of a time mm. to go, there he is, if I hit it into that yeah. space at that point in time. It does, it does seem like that because there was a moment yeah. also in, in, the, in, I think it was an extra time, um, where uh, I remember Mar- Martin Keown uh, on the co-coms today saying oh there he is in that space again he loves that space which was the space in front of the box uh, in front of the centre backs and behind the midfielders you know in the yeah. little, little area but when you then looked at it from the spider cam afterwards in the replay there's no time at no. all there's no. there's like less than a second and he manages two touches and a shot which is deflected wide but I think if it wasn't deflected what's going to be a goal I think when you're watching it from the broadcast angle, it almost gives the impression that there is more space than there is. And you see that next angle, and there's none. Do you think one of the things Messi does really well... Football. Like a, football. Football, <laughs> football, he does very well. Yeah. He plays football to a really yeah, high standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He changes the speed of a game. So like, yes. you always have this one-two punch where like we talked about the, the pass, the disguise, the vision to see it also. But like he has these little touches where the speed of the game just changes really dramatically to the point where it seems to create a bit of a fracture in the play ahead of him. So all the defenders kind of have that, oh my God, Messi's doing something, kind of feeling all at once. And then the pass comes in like a knife towards the penalty box. And when you think about it and you, you go back through his career, Messi is not like, he's... 
listen to everything I'm about to say rather I'm than listening. just the first bit. I'm listening. But he's not skillful in a, in a kind of um, uh, self-indulgent way. He doesn't go through players, doesn't go past players with roulettes and kind of flick flags. He's not a five-star FIFA player. This no, is it. No, he no, just he, does... One of his like, most common trick moves is the croquetta, which is... Right. The croquetta, it, it, exactly. Which is where you just like knock it between your hands. double tap. And it's yeah. kind of... Yeah. It, it's changes of speed, not necessarily kind of... It's not, it's not illusion, is it? And his... It's kind of his balance is so good, his center of gravity is so low that it's very, very difficult to respond quickly to that because he just he goes. It's like a, it's like changing cars, changing cars in a gear, changing gears in a car, but going from like two to five. Yeah. In it's play with time. Like it's I said it before. Yeah, it's that he uh, operates in a slightly different time to everyone else. Yeah, so yeah. It, everyone else operates as though they've got animations, so they have to fill out the animations. Yeah, exactly. But he just operates outside of that, so then you can't react because it's not what you possibly could expect because it's not what the animation's meant to do. Mm. Hey, so David in the chat makes a really good point. He said um, it's skill for function, not style, and yes. that's a, that's a really really good way of putting it. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He's got a poet's eye and a comedian's. Good timing. for you, David. Well done. There we go. Okay, fine. Well, that's messy. He's good. Uh, now, what made the Netherlands so bad? JJ, let's talk about that because um, you all seem to be uh, disappointed with them. And I will preface this and say uh, before their sort of, you know, revival and then again a bit afterwards, um, you, were, you were disappointed. Well, I think it, part of it was this, the passing tempo was very slow, but mm -hmm. that's normal in the quarterfinal of a World Cup. You're a bit nervous, whatever. And also the entire stadium is full of Argentina fans. So mm. it's basically an away, it's like an away game. And I think the, the thing you've got with that system, that 5-2-1-2 two, two that you play, I've seen Scotland use it a lot. And it's very narrow. So you've got all your midfielders and your forwards tend to be quite narrow. The forwards are meant to go wide off for a pass. But Argentina had them pretty locked down. There's nothing really special that the Argentina manager used. It's just quite... It makes sense to... Out, like outnumber them you met like in different parts of the pitch yes and they kind of did that and because they did, couldn't then use the width of Dumfries and Blind was getting stuck back they had no width and so increasingly and like you're saying Memphis but the pylon drops deeper and deeper and deeper and you've got no one really pushing the opposition back so you've got no space to pass into so when you play five aside and the striker in the middle doesn't stay up top they yep. just keep dropping in and there's no space then uh, you just have to do that and push them up. And so you put big lads on, like the Veghorst and what's his chops went upstairs. Look, the young. Yes, the young. Then they go up, and suddenly you can pin the defenders back a little bit. And even though they're not touching the ball, they're making they're completely changing the game because they're pushing the defenders back to give everyone else room in the midfield. Mm. So then suddenly they can play more. I mean, there's more to it. There's momentum and there's chasing the game and all that stuff as well. But I think that stuff's really relevant. It's quite. It's yeah. It, it's really the, important. The aggression of Argentina's defense. Yeah meant so that this Dutch team relies on two the skill sets of two or three very unique individuals to make work yeah. so the central midfield pivot is quite ordinary until you realize one of those people is Frankie the Young who can find a way to just dribble through central midfield mm. at a rate that most people aren't supposed to uh, your wing backs are the wing back system so having one wing back just constantly be in the final third uh, while one wing back is quite good in terms of ball progression shouldn't work but Denzel Dumfries has the weirdest skill set I have ever seen from a wing back you came marching through into our part of the office talking about Denzel Dumfries almost to yourself he was kind of muttering about Denzel what, Dumfries what is it that you feel about Denzel Dumfries he is and I've said this to John in that uh, and I'm going to have to compare things to combat sport yeah. Um, so uh, when Conor McGregor was going through his big run through uh, UFC, he Conor he's McGregor's, an MMA fighter. Yeah, Conor yes. McGregor's big thing was he was just really annoying in press conferences. He'd insult right. you, he'd get under your skin, uh, and the whole thing was eventually you know you, you can beat McGregor if you wrestle him properly. 
Uh, but McGregor would just annoy you so much that you go, oh, I just want to punch him. Right. Uh, until McGregor <laughs> met uh, Nate Diaz, who, uh, Nate, Nate Diaz is a unique individual who might be too, I'm going to be very careful here. It's live. He does, <laughs> Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz I have no idea what you're going to say. Nate but. Diaz didn't respond to sledging properly because he was meant to get really, really angry and forget his game plan. But Nate Diaz doesn't really have a game plan. So he's like, right. yeah, whatever, bro. Right. Uh, so when they got into the fight, Diaz was simply just just forgot that he was supposed to be too angry and fight and just went right. to his game plan anyway. And it worked. And yeah, Denzel Dumfries is a player who makes... Oh, that's on. what we were talking he, about. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Denzel Dumfries is a player who goes, he does take ons over and 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 keeps going to the final third over and over and over he's and over. He's not again. impacted by and the results not, of the last one. He doesn't one. get discouraged by what's just happened. That's quite good, that isn't it? It's a good, it's good to, skill to have. It's a weird one mm. because you're so, at a certain level in professional football, you're supposed to take previous data and let it inform your next <laughs> yeah. bit of data and go, oh, if I keep running outside, he's going to beat me for pace. Maybe yeah, I should run inside. Yeah, yeah. And Dumfries doesn't do that. Mm. He just keeps running on the outside. However, mm. he is such a superb... And I, this feels mean. He is such a superb athlete. He is so quick with the ball and he is so uh, tenacious that even though he's just headbutting himself constantly to get mm. into that final third, it works more often than not. Yeah. Uh, which is why he runs that system through him, which is why putting uh, Akuna on him just got, no, you can't run this way. Yeah. Created that stoppage uh, in the thing. So you had that weird vessel that couldn't work. And Daley Blind, again, a player who has his flaws. Uh, if you're a Manchester United fan, you are, this guy is not quick enough mm. uh, he, he definitely went to the wrong Manchester club uh, but he is massively important to how this system works and how you know it's quite asymmetrical but Blin makes it work because he's very clever mm. can drop in to create a four he's also got very good uh, vertical passing uh, and when there is space in front of him Blin can make very good ball carries so you're relying on those people to bring that unique skill set on so if you just have Argentinian defenders go just stop that person doing the thing they're very, very good at. Mm. You, you negate that thing. Um, to bring another cross-sport comparison, there's some very, very good NBA coaches that say the big difference between playing league basketball and playing playoff basketball is when you play in the playoffs, scouts go, what is that player very, very good at? Let's take that weapon away from him. Uh, and we've heard this in the Premier League in one of the big changes from going from playing in the bottom half of the Premier League to getting signed to a club like Manchester United or whatnot is you go from being coached on your strengths and whatnot to when you're playing teams but other teams go what's he really strong at let's take it away from him this is you know to going far too far the point one Bissaka very much had a, a point over at Manchester United where he was really good at 1v1s and he was like oh he's really good at 1v1s mm. and then loads of coaches started playing Manchester United one Bissaka went let's take away his 1v1 defending mm. see what he's got next and you have to adapt or change yeah and the Netherlands were really flat here because Argentina's game plan was let's take away the very good things their best players have and see how yeah. they cope. And they couldn't for 60 to 75 minutes. It's funny when you say that. I, the, I think the player that I most remember that happening to and, and coming through it, purely because of my, my age, I think, is Wayne Rooney, who burst onto the scene 16 years old and was very explosive and, and scored these incredible goals and could run past anybody. And when he got to the stage, you know, a year or two later... Um, his output diminished because, you know, very, even just to put it very simply, like the opposition team started to put two players on him. Uh, and when you see what he was still able to do throughout his career as someone who was whose strengths were targeted by opposition teams, still able to compete at that top level. I mean, that's that's the real that's the standard you want to set as, as you know, one of the best players in the world. Isn't I, th it? I think this is a given 
um, that you have to achieve as any top player. Like you have to, like Rooney's a good example because you're right. And then Rooney added stuff to his game. Like yeah. sort of two or three years in, he became someone that would make late runs into the penalty box, started scoring headers, something that Ferguson talked about publicly that need for, for him to attack certain areas in the box and sort of weaknesses in defense. But if you think about like every great player, like it's kind of it's a game of chase, isn't it? So you have all your traits on camera, and you have armies of data scientists and analysis uh, analysts at clubs who, um, you know, find out ways to you know clog up that area or stop you doing this or right, just go and kick him or something like that. The the truly exceptional player just keeps getting better and just mm. keeps that distance ahead of you know whatever's chasing him. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's very interesting. Ronaldo did it. Messi's done it. I think if you um, you know you want to dive a little bit deeper, players like Aaron Robin did it. Like people think about Robin was always oh yeah he does one thing. Well, he does it well enough and to a high enough standard and with enough variation to keep being able that to do it. That was a big thing. That's that Robin the critical was, point. If, right? if you watch the Bayern Munich game, Robin didn't just cut inside exactly the shoot. That. He had a catalog of feints he would use. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to John Obi Mikel about just all of these players and the things you don't see. And he said one thing about Robin is he doesn't have one cut inside and shoot. He is like four, like a boxer's jab, just different mm. feints and whatnot. So you didn't know which one he was going to use to do it, which yeah. made it very difficult. And to swing it back to this game, yeah. uh, Mikel also said the thing about Messi that no one properly gets is again, he, he is on a different time signature. He goes, Messi's an alien. He goes, mm. you can get in the gym maybe four or five times, uh, four or five times, for four or 500 hours and maybe get enough abs to be Cristiano Ronaldo or to yeah. take a free kick like Cristiano Ronaldo or to, you know, eventually you might one day perfect the Thierry Henry cut inside and put in the far corner. But whatever Messi does and how Messi interprets the game is just so utterly unique that he does things that you can't legislate for. And I yeah. think the Netherlands lost this game because uh, Scaloni took away their strongest tools. So they took away Dumfries, they took away Blind. They were very good at locking down De Jong and, and Memphis. Uh, and they just went, well, we've got yeah. the little man in the back. We've got the outlier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, there we go. Let's have a break. And when we come back, uh, we are going to talk about uh, referees. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, a lovely break that one. Enjoy the uh, fun of that break, yeah? It's good nice, break. refreshing. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's good. Now, JJ, let me level something against you as I see that you have now begun to hear me. Yes, yes. Mm. You were, were you reading the live chat there? Um, I was also looking at the yellow cards that were just out. One of them is just someone without a name. Oh, that's well. I mean, the it was unclear. At one point, it did look like the referee was booking the entire stadium. Yeah. Um, but uh, now, listen, 
you you hate referees. We all know that. <laughs> um, so does Seb. Don't giggle. Yeah. No, um, do. yeah. You both, I think, have uh, biases, uh, very strong biases. It's kind of a referees. cornerstone to our friendship, actually. Is that's right? Know, yeah. yeah. You sometimes will, sometimes, sometimes on Mondays you go and, just, and burn yeah. people's houses down, referees' <laughs> houses. Yeah, for sure. It now, was my challenge assigned at birth. When you know when they give you your the thing you have to do. Yes. You, you know when they give you the mine, thing. Mine was to annoy you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it working? Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Mother. But, I mean, that's good, but the, you have to achieve the ultimate goal. Sure. I don't know what that leads to, what that is for you. Mine and is to... Yours is to... End refereeing. Yours... I've not really actually... To be, to be give you a credit, I've not really heard it that much from you. Your normal thing is to watch football and, and call 90% of fouls not fouls, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> Seb's normal thing is to, is, to ev- is to say the referee's making it about making it about themselves yeah. again. The refer oh the referee just wants the attention again. Which I find quite funny because that's that's when you've toppled over into emotion <laughs> leading your mouth instead of in, instead of uh, okay. rationale. But um I want to talk about refereeing in this game. Because <laughs> because I've watched the live chat the entire time, right? This has been the plan since the beginning, but I've watched the, 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 the half of the live chat has been about this referee, who I, I don't think we don't want to single this person out specifically. Um, but let's. There were the they behaved co- in a way that singled them out specifically. Did you think so though? Yes, because the commentators also said this. The commentators made a, a, a on on the BBC. I think made a quip at one point saying, "Oh, I don't think we'll see this referee again." So I was like, "It's not been that bad." Also, it's this game is chaos. It's chaos. Like what? What? I'm not sure. I'm you not know, defending you, the referee. You've, you've okay, allowed but, chaos to listen, I feel like I feel like the, 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 the stuff we heard on the BBC came from people who perhaps don't watch a lot of Matthew Lahoe's. Um, refereeing. Yes. Sure. If you watch a bit of Spanish football, even a little bit, you'll have come across this referee before. And what's, what's your issue? Um, no issue. It's just he has a bit of a reputation. Name He's him. Mathieu Lajos. Thank yeah. you. He, he likes flamboyance. He likes to brandish his cards in a certain way. Yeah. He likes, he enjoys the theatre of the refereeing. This is the way he's saying it. He likes, he like. you don't know I, what I, he likes. I, you know what you observe him I to have done. I have watched him referee enough games. See, live, you can see the switch has happened. It's occurred. In I've the got brain. emotional. You've got two cards. I've got emotional. And you've gone on the he's emotional card. Don't get no. rattled. I feel that what we saw today. I feel that's good, good words. Good I feel, of how I, he I of how feel he referees La Liga games. that a lot of what we saw in the game, which was quite chaotic, which I didn't feel was well officiated mm. and I think that kind of played out in some indiscipline from both teams mm. and quite a lot of chaos around free kicks given and quite a lot of moaning and sure. some some slightly strange events like Leo Messi not being booked for volleyballing a football mm-hmm. that was quite odd I feel it was kind of typical of the reputation that this referee has garnered I don't know whether that's fair or not I just happen to agree with it on the base of the games that I've seen sure, sure, in refereeing sure, sure. the no, past. That's, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Look, can we talk about this a little more broadly? Yeah. Carl, you seem to have opinions, so I'm coming to you. I'm going to say that, you, you know, I believe this game to have been chaos. I think that, you know, the, one of the most fun parts of it for me was when the Argentina player made the foul and then smashed the ball at the substitute Beautiful. bench. That was very fun. Beautiful um, but I don't know what a referee's supposed to do in that in that instance. <laughs> I, would, I would say that it's a kind of chicken and egg thing here. A tough game to manage and perhaps not manage that well and that leads to the chaos as opposed to what you said before, which was like... You let the school children run the classroom. Right, but right? sometimes the school children... No, you don't. ...overpower the teacher. No, you don't. Good. You go in there... What if they had your, baseball You bats? go in there as the authority figure and you make it very clear from day one, yeah. or minute 10, 15, this is the standard, this is the threshold. Mm. If you cross this threshold, you'll get booked... And I'll have a conversation to you about how you do this. Mm. This individual in question is not that sort of referee. They are 
someone, a very good friend of mine, uh, messaged saying the referee was refereeing a game that they were imagining in their head rather than what's happening in front of you. Sure. Um, They were slow to react to certain fouls. They were uh, leading with their heart in certain activities. It was fun. Sure. And, and the way they let the game flow for large sections only to then massively course correct by giving out so many yellow cards fun enjoyable nice chaos mm. we all now know this person's name mm. I enjoyed that refereeing experience yeah. I would not be able to handle that refereeing experience uh, if I was a week to week La Liga watcher yeah. and I'm particularly someone who I really hate getting bogged down in referee decisions until the referee acts in uh, I'll put it to you this way I, I've been sent off more than once from the substitute bench. Uh, I'm that sort of impertinent. Oh, really? Squad. What for? Oh, just I, I've once I got uh, sent off uh, for calling their refereeing uh, performance a farce. I mean, this is totally farcical. What are you doing? Was that it? Uh, you said farcical. Was that when he ruled a language that well, you they, can't repeat so, here? So I was doing a thing. I was getting quite heated in the, in the substitute bench. Mm. Like, You're being booked, and I went, "You can book me if you want. This is a total farce. I Absolutely, do not you know, word for the effect." Sure, that feels sure. like two yellow cards. Words, words, it words feels like an escalation. I don't oh, respect yeah. you. Can give, you can do what you want. I don't respect what you're doing. Yeah, and I went, that's so another one. Maybe not a player left on the entire pitch if that happened. If like, yeah. that was the standard of referee. Sure, sure. This referee, up. this referee, booked someone during a penalty shootout yeah. which is uh, one of those things that yes you can do and it's well within your rights and if someone uh, has caused the transgression yeah you probably should give me a yellow card it isn't but part also, of the issue should though. you should you really is that really a clever use of your resources and that's that the correct the, so message two things one we want to set the standard right and be the authority figure but like you're a tool to doing that is, is yellow cards which is what the referee it's, did in this no, game right? yellow cards the second thing is one if you in, in a tournament game when you start like a little early on the yellow cards and it goes to extra time and penalties you end up like you've dug a deep hole for but yourself right? because then you kind of have to yellow card he didn't start early there was a glut in the second half yeah. uh, you know Lionel Messi's Yellow First card. yellow card was in the forty third minute. This yeah. is it. For no, no, but that's yeah, that's know, late. Yeah, that's that's late. That's the, late. There yeah. was no standards set very early yeah. on. There's this massive course correction. I just feel uh, like well, I feel like it's complicated. Isn't I just it? hate a lot of referees. You hate all referees. I, 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 no, I, I do. That's a fair shout. I, I do. I, I also you said. No oh, wonder you know, it's so hard for referees. If, if, if someone, there's, you know, there's none of them left. It, Carl said earlier, like you know, what the, the way to do it is to kind of you know officiate you know, to a harder degree. And, and I sh- I'd probably complain about that too. Like I would find, I would probably see that also as a referee trying to make it about himself. <laughs> you would. I'm not reasonable, well, but I, I don't pretend to be. Well, it's fine. Well, it's the thing if you say the yellow card is, a, is, is the tool. And I don't think the yellow card is a tool. I think the yellow card is one of many tools right. and very good. Like Iron Robbins, four or five yeah, things. Very yeah. good referees are able to, you know, is the, the cliche sort of Mike Riley or whatever go, Point, point, point. That one, that one, that one. There's your first yellow. Yeah. Just cut it out. Sure. Because also referee doesn't want to send players off. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Liu once did a fantastic piece years and years and years ago, which basically broke down Howard Webb's cards. Mm. Uh, and he basically went, well, everyone talks about the, the red card he didn't give to Mr. Young in the uh, 2010 World Cup final. Yeah. And that dramatically changed how he became a referee because... He started carding very differently after that final, yeah. which is quite interesting in that obviously referees have beats and patterns and ebbs and flows just like a football yeah. player. Uh, and it's quite interesting that this game was refereed by someone who is a known chaos yeah. entity. Uh, and, and, and lo and It's behold, interesting though, isn't it? Because we had a the, yeah, chaos but, game with four, 14 yellow cards? But then for that reason, 16 right, yellow like, cards? the reason I feel uncomfortable talking about it 
is this is a, this is a big podcast, right? Mm. I don't yeah. want to flatter ourselves, but <laughs> uh, uh, pretty big, pretty yeah. pretty big deal. <laughs> Everyone's watching. Uh, you know, not everybody. You get what I'm saying. But my point is, when you talk about teams, it's kind of fine because when we criticise teams, okay, a player maybe has a bad game, uh, but they'll have a good game the next week. Or you talk about the team as a whole, uh, it's kind of a stupid job anyway. When you talk about referees. You're pretty much talking about one person. Yeah. And then, like you said, everyone criticises Howard Webb for the card he doesn't give, and then you see the change afterwards, right? Whether that is related or not, you feel that you see that change afterwards. So when we talk about it, I know yeah, I, I, brought it. It, I brought it up. Yeah. I know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody here's done anything wrong. You're scared we're going to shame this person into I being a different like type of referee. I feel like we're, what do you think, are we shaming the guy? Maybe, I don't feel particularly good about discussing referees. It's kind of why we, <laughs> no. <laughs> In public. In public, in public. It's why we don't do it a lot this of the is podcasts, quite childish but then from us. it's yes. kind of a, a reaction to I'm, I'm sorry, chat. Listener. No, no, I'm but this is the thing. I don't think anyone's done anything wrong. <clears throat> I, I, I think I think it's a complicated it's a complicated situation that requires sort of nuanced conversation, right? Because it's it, also this person yeah. is is a is a extremely senior referee at a World Cup in yes. a quarterfinal, right? Yes. So like they are putting themselves in a position where maybe they are going to be criticized. At the same time, you hear about like the, the, how few referees there are coming into the game, how hard that job must be, how everybody hates you, and then you've got idiots like us talking about you. At the, the, do you know what very I mean? Very difficult. I brought, it up. very difficult I brought it up. What do you think, JJ? About what bit particularly? I don't know. I just, I just wanted to involve <laughs> you in the conversation. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy kind of lost control of the game because players didn't respect what his decisions were because he's mm. doing things where... The thing that annoys me is that uh, they're trying to get uh, stop having all these free kicks all the time for players who are buying free kicks it's very obvious when they do it they can be really strong one second and then suddenly let go of all that strength the next so they can win a free kick and take their team up the pitch Argentina did it lots uh, he seemed to be doing an awful lot to help out Messi in certain situations it did seem like that and that I agree entirely with the point it looks like sometimes some referees are refereeing the game they think is happening what they think should be the case yeah. rather than what's actually happening mm. and I can give you no better example of that than all the referees in Scotland and they're <laughs> genuinely like I know it's live cats where they're awful. Right? All of them. All of them. He didn't listen to anything I said. Willie Collum. He didn't listen to anything I said. Willie Collum. Oh he's naming. Awful. Don't name individual referees. He knows. What are you talking about? The referee's government name. Well, I hope you've made that referee. What do they call him? Uh, referee's at international level. He's Scotland's best referee. I'm moving on now. Yeah. I'm moving on. You've, oh, yeah. you've ignored me. I, I, I think there is a line between... We've, no, just, we've just crossed it. No, but also I think the problem with the referee and the problem with um, people wanting to be referees and the decline in those numbers is about abuse and the way referees are treated in the amateur game. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I do understand the top-down situation, but at the same time, like... It's just the nature of the sport, unfortunately. Sure. It's an unfortunate aspect of it. But sure. you are going to comment on refereeing performance. But it's also known it... where the, the walls are, right? So the yeah. thing is, so I'm saying this mostly in jest. I know that they're professional referees. The ones in Scotland are awful. But I mean, <laughs> in that sort of way where there's a separation between me and them, yeah. right? The actual, so the thing is, there's a lot of people when I played a lot of Sunday League yeah. where there's no understanding that, that person is a person and they see it as an an object of yeah. uh, hatred often. Yes. Someone's, that position of authority is telling that person they can't do the thing they want to do and they've got authority over them. And if something that switches in people, then they talk to that person like it's not a real thing. You know, only place Sunday League, people can be like trying to start on you for no reason. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get into the game state. Like, I don't care. I'll try, <laughs> try and laugh and do silly things with people in games. And there's guys trying to like, like, why are you moving so much? And like grab me and stuff. Like, I'm just, I don't care. It's Sunday. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, yeah. But mm -hmm. these guys, as soon as the final whistle's gone, then they're your friends again. And these guys are the ones who who are going at referees and shouting at them and that's the bit that's really horrible 
horrible. But you see it sometimes when players shout things at them. Like you see players saying snide things, whatever. I think saying like, "Oh, you got that wrong." It's not too bad, but some people really going at them, shouting and in making the face personal things. Yeah. And kids see that and they think that's normal. And like kids copy everything. They copy the thing when they're doing free kicks, where they they cover yeah. they cover them. Kids mouths. do that. I suppose yeah. people that their kids play football and they say that's what the, the children do that because they see them doing it. So they see mm. the grown up footballers doing it, and it's a real problem. I did a piece in Black, for Black History Month uh, looking into why there's been no Premier League goal, goalkeeper, Premier, no black referee in a Premier League game since Irene's retirement, uh, basically over a decade ago. Uh, and spoke to two excellent individuals, uh, Russell Hoyt, who's a level five referee. In, H- in how Georgia. many levels are there? So you've, you've got uh, levels one to... What, what, ten to one, and then you've got four above that, which are elite referees. Right. So the elite referees will take your your championship to FIFA and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and and the big threshold and the one where you start start going from semi professional to this could be your career is when you go from level five to level four. Right. Um, and I spoke to uh, Ashley Hickson Lovis, who is the he wrote a book with Uri Rennie. Uri Rennie's book called Your Show, and used to be a referee himself, and he had a very really interesting opinion on refereeing um, to which the point went well why would anyone be a referee uh, and he explained it very much like well why would anyone be a nurse or why would anyone be a school teacher right it's a calling it's it's that very strange vocation that you either get it or you absolutely do not get it yeah um, and he also you know between Russell and Ashley, they, they explained the financial costs. They explained you know this this bleed we're having at, at the grassroots level, where a lot of referees are going. This isn't worth it. You know, uh, the money is not great. The amount of money you have to spend on your own equipment is a lot. Uh, trying to do courses is, is is really difficult. Ashley explained this experience of uh, you know very often to make your money back on a weekend, you have to referee three games. But when you referee that third game, you're probably absolutely knackered from the two other ones. So that's when you start making mistakes. And referees hate making mistakes. They're evaluated. They absolutely understand. They don't like making mistakes, uh, and they really prefer it to have situations where you're getting twenty-two handshakes, yeah. even if you have been given out some yellow cards. So these are two very different subjects. In that, yeah, ref- being a referee is really hard, and it is like being those vocational jobs, like being mm. a nurse, like being a, a teacher, like where if you aren't one of them, it would never, ever, ever make sense why you want to be a referee. Yeah. Um, and only other referees will probably understand what other referees do that yeah. which I suppose makes it even more difficult when a referee is doing what I'll put in air quotes non-refereeing things sure uh, getting emotionally heated mm. being sort of course correct and you're going why are you behaving like us yeah in the classroom you're the teacher yeah behave like the teacher which will bring I think that's some of my frustration I don't like talking about referees too much but when a referee is behaving you know, down to the same silly biases of me as a football player. I'm, you don't like to see it, yeah. I'm just going. This is a fast. I want to do better. What was the answer to why there are why there are no black Premier League referees? I mean, if there is an answer, I, I mean, socioeconomic factors uh, in, in terms of you know any sort of why would you do that sort of job? That's a, yeah. a vocation. Well, eventually, the people that end up doing it are the people that can afford to do it, or the people that have the most time to do it, which very often means people from marginalised backgrounds and and don't necessarily have the same. Social network uh, benefits yeah. will go well. Maybe not. There's also the idea of well, you need to see it in order to achieve it. And if you haven't had a black referee in a Premier League game for more than a decade, there's a number of mm. black referees lower down the paradigm going. Maybe this is not for me. Maybe there is uh, what was described to me by Russell is there's something of a of a a glass basement mm. for talented black referees. And 
Uh, something I found was really nice was when I asked, I asked them both of them, I went, look, we know about referee abuse. We, we've seen various Premier League managers get up in referees' faces. Have you as referees, your refereeing career, had that abuse with the racial element? And, and they said, no, not really. Um, they have had experiences with abuse. Uh, uh, Russell is is a bit older than than myself, uh, and he's a, you know he speaks with a wily veterans experience, and he goes that sort of abuse. I get my car, go home. I don't sit in the car bus and do that. And I have to teach the referees that he he's a referee consultant as well. Mm. So if you want to do this and want this to be your career, you need to be you know water for ducks back. Yeah, which again is that thing of I'm sure through this very nice profession we all have where we're footballing adjacent we could probably finagle a discounted rate to become referees or write a piece on I became a referee for a day mm. um, which you shouldn't that's not how things should work really mm. uh, but also if someone offered me the chance to be a referee absolutely not I mean I'll, I'll learn it from an academic sense to know which ways a referee runs in a game Yeah, but I would never want to be a referee for more than like a game. I don't think I could. Academic, I don't think I could deal with. So it. maybe I should actually be quiet and apologise to Lalos. Maybe you should say sorry now. I know no, you apologise. You got nothing I, to apologise for. I can sum it up just to get us into the football. Is that I once had to run the line that the team I was playing for. So no, you have to do the line because mm-hmm. there's no linesman. And uh, I had to run the line, which I did not want to do, and uh, called offside against. Uh, well. The, the ball, the guy was onside, definitely. He didn't put my flag up. And the left-back on my own team was screaming at me. It was awful. And that's yeah. my own teammate yeah. and me just getting the decision right. You got right. I bet you were rubbish at it, though, weren't you? I wasn't really trying, but I was right. <laughs> I wasn't really I trying. Was right. There he is. I was level JJ, with the I play. wasn't oh, trying, JJ. bro. I was level with the play. Yeah, anyway, I someone in the chat suggested a robot referee. and I, yeah, I mean, I'm all for that. I like Having that. Having a robot on the pitch would be amazing. Yeah. Like Robocop. But I'm so football. tempted to go down another tangent. But that's just because I want to talk to you about it. I'll talk to you about it Let's after. do football again. We'll go to that. Um, yeah. Let's have another break. And when we come back, we'll do some more uh, football. Because, of course, Brazil aren't in the World Cup <laughs> anymore. So we'll talk about Small that. Small news bit. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, lovely break. That was Croatia 1. 1 Brazil, 4-2 on penalties now. This game feels like quite a long time ago. JJ Bull, what the hell happened? What happened? Well, it was a really fun game, but Croatia essentially stopped Brazil from playing the way they want to play. And Brazil didn't stop Croatia so much playing the way they want to play. It's more like Croatia don't have any speed or like real penetration in the final thirds. Mm-hmm. So they just control the game, pass it around the midfield. The midfield three of Brozovic, Modric and Kovacic, just spelled Brozovic wrong on the board if you're watching on the stream, thanks. Uh, they just control everything, but then they don't 
really use anything to get through for the, the wide players. And then I can't really remember what happened in the game because it was so long ago. <laughs> but I have done a video about it on T4YRL and Carl knows. Carl, do you want to have a go? Uh, I'll have a go. So, yes, uh, this Croatia team, uh, when they click into gear, when that midfield clicks into gear, uh, amazing, fantastic. One of the best central midfield trios we've seen since the last central midfield trio Croatia made. Mm. Um, but it takes them longer to get into gear and, and to click into that, that formation. Um, and they can't sustain it for as long as they did when one of those players was Rakitic or when Luka Modric was four years younger and whatnot. So that is the inefficiencies of Croatia. And I think one of the big things with this Brazil team is uh, Danilo, who is a right back, is on the left, mm. which meant uh, a lot of their ball progression down the left-hand side was, was very one-sided. I also think Chiche kind of balls up his substitutes. You think? Um, so what... The way you beat Croatia, uh, and I'm going to reference her work again because I think her work is fantastic. Grace Robinson, great newsletter, Grace on Football on Twitter. Mm. Um, she has written about how you stop Croatia by you, you put you chuck a wrench in that midfield. You just you just chuck it, you just churn it up, uh, and you stop that from getting into gear. And they they don't really have the the P and P and pace and power and penetrating punch out wide mm. um, or, or up front. But if you just put something in there, you're great. But this yeah. midfield uh, pairing of Casemiro and Paqueta or Paqueta, sorry. Um, Paqueta is an eight. He's adventurous. He wants to get into the final third, as does Neymar. Neymar often drifts left, even though he's the 10 as well. So they're all flooding forward. So you have Casemiro essentially trying to take on one of the best trios out there. I don't know. The stream can come up with a really nice nickname for that trio. Mm. I quite like Cerberus. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's fantastic. That is good. Yeah, good. Uh, for, for how that's going on, uh, which meant the, the midfield battle is, is, is toing and throwing in a way that it shouldn't. Uh, because Danilo is right-footed on the left-hand side, that cuts down a certain amount of part crossing angles. Uh, JJ is very good at explaining crossing angles because mm -hmm. uh, I saw him do it in a really nice piece mm. involving Anthony oh, uh, yeah. against Newcastle. Uh, and this meant, uh, and Rafinha wasn't on a great day as well. So there are, you've got problems in midfield, you've got problems out wide. You want to keep Neymar because he's your best on-ball creator. Vinicius Junior is, Vinicius Junior and Rafinha are meant to be running in behind. So that, those are your issues there. Um, one of the things that's also became quite apparent during this game is Brazil are better when Brazil are best defending when they have the ball. Yeah. They've got a soft underbelly that Thiago Silva is very good at doing smoke and mirrors and going, don't don't notice it. Yeah. I'm old, but I'm standing yes. in correct position so you don't realise how soft <laughs> don't you come is. over here, don't you'll re regret it. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, hey, Casemiro, yeah. step five yards right. Ooh, hey, you stopped it so you don't notice the soft underbelly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> that's how Brazil defend and it's a lot of it via very good secure ball circulation mm. but Croatia's strength is well we'll have the ball and we'll yeah. just hold it for ages so you saw more weaknesses in Brazil's defensive plan because Croatia even though they weren't particularly good penetrating were just marching up yeah. and every now and again tickling the soft on the belly yeah, so to speak tickle. I'd say at the hour mark it becomes quite apparent that Chiche should make mix up his midfield but uh, something I found quite curious was he was making more or less like for like changes with the subs so uh vinicius jr comes out and who comes on for vinicius jr rodrigo, rodrigo. Uh, and rafinha comes out for anthony uh which anthony very uh left-footed very 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 left-footed on the right wing mm. uh is it, sort of rafinha but not not a great not as good at on-ball creator as rafinha but is, a, is more tenacious going forward, mm -hmm. I think is, is a fair assessment. And uh, Rodrigo is not the on-ball creator or 
running in behind threat of Vinicius. So they sort of went for their plan B was slightly fresher but worse players than their plan A, yeah. which meant they didn't solve the problems they had. Did this you find is my that, interpretation yeah, of the situation. This, this, is, this is how I felt because it felt like with the Brazilian changes, nothing actually changed. Yeah. If you look, by contrast, if you look at the changes that Croatia made, um, and I understand the game state was different for them and some of it was about urgency, um, Petkovic for Kramaric is really the only one that could be considered a like-for-like. Vlasic for, uh, for Pasalic is different. Lovren Meyer for Kovacic, different. Budimaya for Sosa is, is a last sort of, you know, it's a put the big man in the box and say yeah, for the yeah, best. Yeah. Like, I get that. But it feels like exactly that. It's just you're, you're changing you're changing players um, based on their condition state rather than saying, right, well, um, Croatia have kind of come up with an answer for everything we've thrown at them for 120 minutes. So let's do something different or 40 minutes or 50 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, whatever the state was in the game. It wasn't, it wasn't very imaginative. Yes. To go back to the word. cooking analogy, uh, if, if Chiche was making this dinner, he would go, oh, this, this I'm not sure, I haven't got, quite got the He's ratio just right. keep chucking pepper Let me just in keep it. putting yeah. more powder to try and correct <laughs> right. the ratio where you're going, yeah. mate, you, you might need to use the spice rack. Yeah. You might need to, uh, the fact Bruno Gamarish didn't come on was quite interesting to me because I thought, you know, Gamarish in for Pakata uh, or possibly another midfield on top of that would have, would have rebalanced that midfield mm. battle. Um, and yeah, I think Danilo having to play on the left instead of, Alexandro was injured. Really, really uh, curb ball progression on that left-hand side as well. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's that's what happened. How big a surprise is it, Seb? I mean, you know, Brazil out in the quarterfinals, we were starting to think of them uh, as we were starting... I mean, to be honest, I was starting to think that, that Brazil-Argentina semi-final was definitely going to happen. I thought Brazil might edge that game. I could see them going all the way and winning it. Um, but we've said on this podcast before, Croatia, not a team you want to play. No, I suppose the right word is wily. Mm. They've been in these situations a lot. Um, there was a, a tweet that went around saying, I think that eight of the last nine games they've played in the World Cup knockout rounds or, or tournament knockout games um, have gone to 90 minutes. I've gone to extra time or penalties. Yes. Um, but they managed to get all the way to the final in 2018 without uh, winning a knockout game in y- 90 minutes. Right? Yeah, I, to be honest, like the way I see Croatia is as a side who are really, really good at stealing momentum from a game, mm-hmm. um, who are really good at either um, taking it away, distilling it, um, taking kind of any rhythm out of a side's performance. Mm. And they've done it time and time again. And they've also done it against really high-powered sides. Mm. And no more high-powered than Brazil, right? Because yeah. they are the team in the tournament to this point. They've been um, probably the most destructive favourite that we've seen. And um, they've played some of the best football. Also, interestingly, some of the most intricate attacking football. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the most well-connected. Um, if you look at like Richarlison's influence on that Brazilian side, look at how well Vinicius has played. Neymar has had moments. Didn't have the best game uh, this evening, but he's had moments. And yet they have the... I suppose they're kind of the they're able to diffuse anything. Mm. It's a kind of it's it's very very interesting. Have you have you seen uh, the the TV series of what we do in the shadows? No. no. Have you guys seen this? Story? Bit. It's good. It's funny. It's quite fun. Well, anyway, uh, for, for for listeners, it is a it is is about vampires. It's a mockumentary series about vampires. But one of the vampires is a, is an energy sucker as opposed to a blood sucker. <laughs> this you know? is Croatia. And uh, well, I'm, th- the difference here is that uh, of course you know Croatia don't play boring football, and you know like the joke in the show is that the guy will go and work in a random office and just bore people with small talk and then absorb their energy mm. and loves it that way. But Croatia, they don't they don't appear to go about beating other teams by sucking the blood out of their neck. They 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 get the energy in a different way, right, JJ? The submission specialists. Sorry, mm. JJ, I've just. Mm. Intercepted. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Uh, so, um, the 
are really interesting tactically. And like you're saying about the ball progression in the left for Brazil, I think the real reason for that is that what they were doing was a very specific thing with the goal. So when Brazil trying to build out from the back, goal kicks was the word I stopped saying there. They would split the centre back split. What they want to do is try and play uh, for the goalkeeper to the centre-backs, right? But they, they put Kramaric, the centre striker, rather than being in the middle between the two, working out where they're going to go, they always put him slightly to the right. So Alisson wouldn't pass out to Thiago Silva on the left, he'd pass out to Marquinhos on the right. And they'd have other players, you know, the, the press would trigger in a different way. But then what that meant was that Pasalic would be next to where Danilo was, so uh, they wouldn't then try a, a switch or whatever. Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic push up a little bit to be near the midfield. Um, even though Brazil don't really have a midfield, so they just basically play with a, f- with a front foot and then Paqueta like, joins in a little bit and mm-hmm. Casemiro play. They play with two separate units, basically, and the midfield becomes the, the defenders pushing up. But this this little tactic here means that this guy always has to go down the right, and you saw all their build-ups in the first half. All of them were going down this side here, and so, so the here is the right-hand side of the pitch, I should say. And so that's what happened. So Vinicius Jr.'s touch map, if you can find a a copy of it somewhere. Basically, what you'd normally expect to see is Vinicius Jr. would be a bit deeper, level roughly with Rafinha, because they're receiving it in the midfield part of play, so the the middle third of the um, of the build-up. They'd want to receive the ball around there, but Vinicius Jr. was only touching the ball in the really the last third when there was a turnover midfield, when mm. one of the midfield three gave the ball away, which they hardly ever did, because they're amazing. And so that's when Vinicius Jr. was getting involved. So he was basically out of the game, wasn't receiving the ball deep. So his touch map looks like he's all the way up uh, mm-hmm. in the top left when he should have been deeper. And that then meant that uh, Vinicius Jr. wasn't involved and the manager took him off. And he was probably their most dangerous attacking player. Yeah. Juranovic kind of had him covered, I think. I mean, Seb disagreed with this, but I think he had him pretty much covered. Uh, Seb uh, doesn't agree with that. It doesn't matter. Because it's done now. And Brazil are gone. Brazil are so gone. It doesn't matter. But yeah, and the thing with Croatia is that that's one small tactic. In the second half, Brazil changed a little bit and they started making sure that they'd play it to the right, bring Karmic over, and then they'd switch it with a high chip ball. And then they were able to play it on the left a lot more. But that, you know, that's what they did. It didn't really make much difference now. It's the first phase of build up. But Croatia can just squish a game, take all the life out of it. The one thing they don't have is when you do that, you need to be able to up the tempo a bit, and that's mm-hmm. what they lack. But they are good at getting the ball into the box early for for forwards with an overlapping fullback, normally joined in with Perisic or something like that. Well, also, I mean, if you if you don't need to win in ninety minutes and you score <laughs> yeah. all of your penalties, then like who? I mean, well, you know what? Tournament you football, right? It's the same as Southgate. You just you, you play it to win the game rather it's than smart. It feels like they play in little five minute sections every game because one of my favorite things that the Croatia do is I'm got the ball, but um, there are phases that they play where which they which go nowhere essentially. It's a little pass out of trouble. It's a, uh, a pass across the pitch. It's everybody working back into position. And it just, if you play against it, it must ruin you because you go from building attacking momentum as Brazil tried to do and you saw them kind of, there were there was sort of, there was an attempt to kind of build the urgency as the second half wore on. And then you'd have this little two or three minute phase where Modric pirouettes out, you know, outside of the right across the pitch. Mm. There's Sosa on the far touch line. Oh, he's going to come back across. And JJ's absolutely right. Like the, the weakness is that they can never really get out of that gear. They don't have a number nine who can score proper goals. Like, proper goals or goals at all um <laughs> but at the same time they are they're kind of like a it's kind of like a martial art where you never actually throw an attacking strike yeah. mm. you just continually block and defend and move and, it's right. the uh, it's the the old heavyweight boxer who every time you build up some mental will just clinch you and every time we release like there you go let you go and i'm gonna give you a little love tap yeah. <laughs> i always thought watching joe calzaghi box wasn't very fun but he used to win every single match yeah he never do any punches he just let them try and hit him and get a little jab it, on them it, yeah. it is very effective tournament football and anyone playing croatian 
needs to have a game plan prepared to, to take it to 120. Yeah. And I, I, I work at the Athletics. So I'm sure at some point in time, the Athletics going to try and write a piece of, why does a country of 4 million people create technically secure midfielders en masse? Mm. Uh, what's also been really interesting, and I think has always wrong-footed me when I try and predict Croatia and try and misdiagnose the decline of Croatia, was when Rakitic left, they looked a little bit more ordinary Euros. Um, Kovacic's great strength is he's a very press-resistant dribbler. Uh, Brozovic is a very secure number six. Uh, so you're like, okay, you've got a dribbly boy, a passy boy, Modric, and, and, and a tackly boy. Uh, and they're not. They're, they're all passy boys. <laughs> they're all passy boys to a level that... They're all very similar profile player, yeah. yeah so, and they just, yeah. just just spin around in a constantly... They can constantly change the profile. And, the can, and there are points in time where you can almost see one of the players go, I'm kind of tired because you take over passing duties mm. for me now. Uh, and Kovacic today was exceptional uh, at not being the dribbly boy that that we're used to seeing at Chelsea, but just being very, very good. Very, He's always press resistant, but being very technically skilled with his passes. And Brozovic has... I mean, James Horncastle is, is always singing his praises as being one of the best defensive midfielders that yeah. will never play in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a question for JJ. Why is, why is Gamarish not playing? Why is he not involved in any way whatsoever? Like yeah. I, in the Brazil team? Yeah, like that, I, it's... We don't really need him because the whole point is you've got this front four. So the front four is meant to then stop play going into the midfield. So then you don't really need a midfield against that battle because they can sit behind it. So you've got Paquita and Casemiro sit deeper. Paquita can play both in that kind of role as a partner to Casemiro if you need him. But you can also push in to be an extra forward. So you get a front five flanked with other people if you want. And then rather than having fullbacks overlap to give your width that way, you have amazing wingers 1v1 with fullbacks, mm-hmm. which works really well. It's, it makes so much sense now. You know, so many teams for so long have been making the front five with the fullbacks. Yeah. But why wouldn't you just make it wingers? It's so <laughs> obvious. And now it's all changed back to being that. And it's like a 4-2-4, really. It's a, a return of the 4-4-2. Like Holland are doing something, so Netherlands are doing something similar to Today, where they're playing with, they're playing it more a uh, lot of depth between centre backs and forwards and hooking it long to big lads who can disrupt and try and build it that way. Whereas Brazil want to play through lines and then the the fullbacks. It's very much like what I think the old Brazil teams played like, but in a more modern. Uh, in way. what sense? Because um, they used to play all four two four, but then you'd also get players just joining in for oh, the fun. Oh, the old old Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. And right, then okay. the thing is, you don't have to defend if you're constantly attacking. And it's, they just couldn't do it as well because I think Croatia just killed the game. This <laughs> is really clever game management from them. I think the manager for Croatia uh, has done an incredible job because there's a lot of players in that team who aren't amazing. Like Juranovic plays for Celtic and they're all right. right? But, and he was, he was really good in this game. Sosa is obviously a very good player. Guardiola is top-notch. Lovren was done at the top level a long time ago, it looked like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here he is doing really well in this team because what he does is very functional. He can carry the ball out from the back. The midfield three, sure enough, you're lucky to have those there. But the forward line... Like, yeah, Perisic doesn't play like this for Spurs. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, Perisic is still a average. good player. He looks like he's 25 in this Croatian <laughs> team. It's amazing. But there's something to them and, and something that was like the, the magic of the World Cup and people being able to play up who, a little who bit. Who is that? Well, this that, is what uh, happens. <laughs> it's sprinkled with magic. Yeah. But also, uh, the manager's getting exactly what he needs out of them for the opponent they're playing against. The old teams they've beaten. Like, they were in the World Cup final four mm, years like ago. Like It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okay, fine. Well, listen, uh, it was penalties again today. Uh, Neymar, we assume, who actually uh, tied Pele's Brazil scoring record, 77 yeah. goals What's today. a goal? It was oh, a very good goal. What's a goal? It was a, would you like to talk about the goal, Carl? Uh, or would you like to exclaim one more time? 
Water gone. There we go. That'll do. <laughs> um, we assume that uh, he was down to take the fifth penalty. Interestingly, uh, later on in the second game, Messi took the first penalty. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was always in the plan, or whether is that a kind of uh, well, Chiche is actually talking about done. this. So he really? talked about wanting Neymar to take the fifth penalty because it was a pressure penalty. It's one of those issues where. How, what you think of Neymar and his career will probably define how you respond to that mm. in the sense of, oh, he wants the fifth penalty because he wants all the glory and he wants the moment versus what I think is a, a pretty rational explanation, which is that the fifth penalty is typically crucial. You don't usually have a situation where you're that bad at taking penalties. Yeah. You would have expected it to get to the fifth. It, w- it was crucial with Lotaro uh, in the uh, It was in the second game. You well. want a good penalty taker. You want a pressure-resistant player taking it. Yeah. And uh, it's just unlucky. But I suppose... A lot of people will project the PSG thing. One thing I will say, yeah. To, to, so, the Neymar's Neymar's goal is really interesting to me because he does two one twos, yeah. takes it round the goalkeeper, and then has that little pause to go instead of just crashing it low. I'm going to crash it up high because mm. I know a Croatian defender will try and get a block in. Yeah, really and there are, if you are the person that believes Neymar is a self-aggrandizing. Uh, prima donna who's constantly diving and Neymar doesn't score that goal Mm. Neymar falls over there's two very good opportunities for Neymar to to fall over whereas Neymar does the thing that Neymar fans have often longed for him to do which is Mm. completely take over this game please I think that's why that goal is is remarkable it was a Messi like quality you remember like we, we talked earlier in the tournament about Messi's goal against Mexico when it wasn't a great game, there wasn't a lot of attacking impetus, Argentina weren't creating anything until, right, I'm just going to punch this through and I'm going to decide this game right yeah. now. It was like that. It was like, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna drop deep, I'm taking the ball, I'm going to plot my route right the way through this defence and I'm going to score with like an exquisite finish. And it's, I, I find him really conflicting because I love watching him at his best. I just feel like his best is something which can be a little bit elusive at times and... I don't know. I, I, I suppose this is a conversation for 10, 20 years' time when we look back on his career as a whole, but it just feels like you, you're starved of these little brilliant moments and we should have had more of them. That might be just the greedy football fan in me. I, I don't know. I mean, equal Pelly's all-time Brazilian. Yeah. No, that is yeah, a very yeah, fair yeah. point. Yeah. But I mean, at the, at the same time, like, do you feel like you've got your money's worth out of Neymar at World Cups? Do you feel like no, got out of his top to be career? scoring like 40 a season. I mean, he was one of the best players in the world by a mile when he was at Barcelona. He yep. was absolutely amazing. I remember I went to see him play and it was, he was so much fun to watch. But you can't, do it every single game, I guess. And he's had a lot of problems with injuries and he goes, I don't know. He hasn't played more than 2,000 minutes in a season since, I want to say... 2018, perhaps even 2019. Then this is this is kind of the Messi Ronaldo effect, though, isn't it? Because it's turned people like me into thinking we should have this all the time, three yeah. goals, three goals a week, and excellence on tap. And it's just not like that anymore. No. Maybe maybe it's unrealistic. You should never. We should. We were truly spoiled by the prolonged excellent. It it, it is a, a lot like tennis in that there was just that prolonged excellence, ridiculous from, group of from, players from Federer, yeah. from Nadal, and then Djokovic turned up, and that was amazing. And, and yeah. If you were anyone else outside those three, okay, maybe you can win it. You can win a Grand Slam, but mm. that was it. And yeah, I think we got the full Neymar experience here in that you spent the better part of an hour going, "Why won't this guy press yeah. the button become amazing?" He did press the button, turn up to be amazing, but also it wasn't enough to win the game. Uh, and there was always that sort of ah, but maybe just out of sight there was that thing he could have done why did he wait until take the fifth penalty yeah. um, I, the fifth penalty did evoke 
the image of Cristiano Ronaldo in Euro 2012, where Portugal played Spain. And he was meant to take the fifth penalty, but the shootout didn't take to five. And I remember it quite clearly in that Ronaldo just sort of stood there on the halfway line and he had both of his hands behind his head like this. Yeah. And I imagine that's, that's a particularly maddening form if you are a football player who is known for your ability to take over. And when they give you the moment, you can you can provide to not have that moment there for you. Yeah. Well, there it is, eh? Mm-hmm. Now, listen, I mean, you know, we could apply that probably to, to Brazil as a whole. They were obviously favourites before the game. A little bit of criticism for them at half-time. At half-time. Half-time and extra time uh, for appearing to celebrate Seb. Yeah, I'm not having the criticism. No. I thought about this, and my immediate reaction was, ooh, that's a bit smug. But then, on reflection, no, because... <laughs> you think that about everything. I do think that on about everything. Referees, people, football mm. players. You hate smug. You know, yeah. just people generally. Oh, the way he said, hello, how are yeah, you, was no, a That bit, was very obnoxious, mm. wasn't it? What's he suggesting? Are no. smugglers smug? Smugglers are smug, yeah. <laughs> probably they are. Are. Depending on, like, if they smuggle something things. really great, then you'd probably be quite yeah. smug and self satisfied What do you smuggle, though? Is all like treasures? You know, smugglers with luxury duvets are also snug. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem with it, Joe. Like, um, just because it's an amazing goal. I think if you're celebrating in front of that Brazilian crowd and you've scored a goal of that quality, I think you can afford a smile. I think we we kind of police this stuff a little bit too harshly now. Okay, fine. Um, Well, I think they play each other in a semi final. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, Croatia Croatia versus Argentina. Argentina. Yes, I mean, we. I have no time to talk about that. But yep. we could talk about it a bit tomorrow, potentially. Sure um, let's p- quickly play Points of Bad. Should we, should we listen to a little song of Points of Bad? Yeah. We might not have enough headphones, so you might need to share with Carl. Tell you what, you go for it, Carl. I know the... Yeah, uh, I, can, I, can, I can hum it in my head. We'll all put it's our okay. headphones on, and when producer Don's ready, we'll hear a little bit of Points of Bad. Points of Bad. Points of Bad. They're really, really bad. Points are good. Points are bad. Very now. craft work. Yes, yes, very much. So. Now, listen. Let's all remember points are bad as we um, go and play this game. Now, very interesting in this game. Very interesting, JJ, because of course it is the end of day eighteen, the first of the quarterfinals. This day changed repeatedly throughout, just throughout the second game as the scoreline changed. JJ, I can tell you there was a time when you were leading today's score during the second game. But I'm sad to tell you that you are today's loser with five points added you in the You don't look sad when you games. say that. <laughs> no, I'm not actually sad. That mm. was just politeness that drove me to say that. You added three because, of course, your prediction for Netherlands-Argentina was a 1-0 win to Argentina. It turned out 2-2, of course. Um, I came I, At one point, I was joint oh. first. And then I came second last with four points added. John McKenzie and Seb Safablor, a joint victory today <gasps> on just two points each. Very impressive. Both uh, picking up uh, just the one point in each game there. So congratulations. Uh, I'll come back to the grand totals after we do our predictions for tomorrow. But JJ Bull, you are first to pick. And we know how difficult you find it when you are first i'm just getting john's uh, picks 
up and ready. Now, let's begin with Morocco, Portugal. And I am going to have to press you now to give me a score instantly. Nil, nil. Nil, nil. Okay, fine. Um, Next will be (laughs) me. Uh, Morocco, Portugal. I think this is going to be a huge game. I think 2-3. I think Portugal are going to win. But I think it's going to be 2-3. Yeah. Uh, Now, uh, John will go next. And I think we'll find out why shortly. Well, but uh, John's uh, Portugal two, Morocco nil is uh, his suggestion. Now, Seb, you're last. I'm going to go Portugal three, Morocco one. Oh, you gone for a three-one yeah. there? Yeah. Okay, that's that's kind of what I've said. Yeah. Except with one less goal for Morocco. Yes, indeed. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, JJ Ball, England, France. He's been thinking about it this whole time. He hasn't listened to anything anyone <laughs> said. Can't wait. Oh, I'm not trying. I'm not trying at the game. No, I am trying now. For no, a while I wasn't. Trying. And then I started to do things that were funny yeah, to entertain see, myself. There, but now I'm goes. fully in, baby. And I goes. think it's going to be... Uh, what do I really think? This is hard. I don't know what I really think. What do you actually think? I don't know. I know no, 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 I don't want you just to, to, just, just to say that you think France are going to win because cause you said to me in the office earlier you think England are going to win. Mm, yeah, I'm a bit so just, just, just come on, come on, say <laughs> it. All right, here we say go. It, I it, think it's it. going to be. Uh, let's see, one one. Oh, he can't quite bring himself. Can't do it, to can say he? It. he can't Go quite bring himself it. to say it. I'm of course going to say five, five nil. nil. Um, <laughs> John is next. John believes it's France 2, England 0. I've actually put him as 2 0 England, but no. Seb Stafford Ball. I will say France 2, England 1. France 2, England 1. So I'm the only person to predict there an England you're, you're win. Gonna be, you're going to be right. It's going to be like 3 0 or something. You've gone for 1 1. That's not, that's not a bad shout. No, uh, yeah. Against it's not France. A bad shout. Is it for 120 minutes, we said, isn't it? The whole game. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. it's pretty long. All right. Okay, so the grand totals after match day 18 are as follows. I am in last place, of course, with 134 points. Now, remember, points are bad. In second place, I thought this had switched, but apparently it hasn't just yet. In third place, sorry, is still John on 130, but with 129. JJ, you are cutting it fine, dear. And now way out in head on 125 a whole four points clear listen there are only how many games left we did two for tomorrow we've got two next week six if we include the round the the third place playoff Mm -hmm. four points is a big gap with six games left you got your work cut out for you to get back into this JJ ball because Seb Stafford Bloor is first on 125 I've been trying so hard I've been trying so hard yeah there we go. Very exciting stuff. Okay, fine. Well, there we go. That was points are bad. Uh, JJ Bull, thank you very much. Yeesh. Seb Stafford Bloor, thank you very much. You're most welcome, JJ. Uh, thanks as usual uh, to Mr. Carl Anker. GG, GG. Uh, it was a GG, yeah, wasn't nice. it? I thought was, that was a pretty track. good GG. Yeah. And uh, thanks to. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. Thanks to uh, Jamie and Don in the production suite over there. Thanks to editor Joe, who will be editing this when he gets home. Yeah, very happy about that. And I uh, hope Nathan's having a lovely time uh, doing something which is not for me. Um, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow, joined by, I think we're joined by Kiva tomorrow. Yes, we are. Kiva O'Neill, yeah. very excited about that. Uh, and then it's the semi finals, and then it's the finals. So close, yeah. doesn't it? So close. Right. Ta See you later.